Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Imagine you're at an exclusive party. Across the crowded room, you spot the most stunning man. You spit-take your champagne. He keeps approaching, and then he says, Your red light therapy session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. New red light therapy now available featuring Australian gold. Hot guy not included. Well, hey, welcome back. Good game, nice try. I am one of the two hosts, Sonia Reed, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, uh, and you know what, I'll say it, better half, Aaron Blair. You're a bad liar, but I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, um, I got something to say. I, I, you know what, We one thing we always do is before we kind of start these podcasts, we're always kind of like, well, what should we talk about? And I, I always feel like, and I apologize to both you, Sonia, and our producer, Jen Samples. I apologize to you both. I always got a little pebble in my shoe. I always got something that's bothering me. Never apologize for that. Jen, I was going to say long overdue, but sorry, continue. <laughs> I always got something bothering me, and I feel like I'm just airing grievances constantly, but I have a grievance to air. That's fine. Get it out. Here's my issue. I am playing this game called The Wine. Wait, question. Is it The Wine spelled like with an H, so it's like, oh, everyone's whining and it's like a pouty game, or is it the wine, like a glass of wine? Jen, I'm so glad you asked because it's wine like the glass of wine, but I'm about to wine with an H. <laughs> so because here's here's my issue. It's, uh, and I spoke a little bit about this in another episode, but it's basically like the game Mist, but it's a horror game. So there's like somebody coming around trying to kill you. And it actually does scare me. Oh. But here's the thing, and I got a grievance. Makers of horror games, if you're going to put a puzzle in your game, don't make it hard. Make it easy. Nothing ruins atmosphere more than me getting frustrated about a puzzle. And I'm stupid. Okay, fine. But I'm just saying, I'm running from this guy, this thing, and there's like, da, 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 and then I'm like twisting knobs for like an hour. And I'm like, fuck this. Uh, Blay, I will take your baton and I will run with it because Please. this is such a pet peeve for some big dumb idiot like myself oh. because I feel I feel exactly the same. I want to love horror games and I really want to get into it and be like super, super spooky. But and I feel like I've, I've said this before, but I had such a similar experience in Outlast and Amnesia where I'm like trying to escape the spooky house, but then I get stuck on a puzzle. And then I'm like, 
waiting for something to happen. But then like the monster's already like way ahead waiting for me. He's just like sitting there like right, uh, right. T- tweeting uh, and waiting for me to get past all this shit. And I just like can cannot and I get lost and I just feel like a big, dumb, stupid idiot. And then I'm not I'm not scared anymore. Uh, you got to come over here so I can kill you. Or, uh, you I'm like, what? Where puzzle. are you? No Hello? monster. I don't need help. All right. Well, uh, just let me know. I'm happy to the monster's you. just doing a Sudoku waiting yeah. for you. <laughs> Uh, what is uh, five plus six? Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I'm, I know we've talked about this before because it's one of my biggest pet peeves in games. But to have it relived again I'm now. running into it again with the wine. And it, so here's the thing. And look, this is an old showbiz rule. An old showbiz rule or an editing rule is when you put text up on the screen, the rule is you should be able to read the text three times through. So here's what I'm going to say to everybody making a horror game out there right now with puzzles in it. When you're playing through, the puzzle should be four times easier than you think. Make it way easier than you think. Because those of us playing the game, when we're scared, we're going to have a hard time figuring out the puzzle. And it's going to, nothing kills my horror boner. (laughs) Nothing kills my fear boner harder than getting frustrated at a puzzle. So. We've said this before, we'll say it again. Just make the puzzle seat. I'm seeing all of this pent-up frustration. I'm so from, angry. From years of horror games just bubbling and bursting at the surface <laughs> in your expressions. It keeps happening. Stop it. Just stop Listen, it. stop making me feel like a big, dumb idiot <laughs> and just scare me. Right. I think horror designers, horror devs, who have puzzles in your games, look to Alien Isolation as don't make it harder than that. Because that, I think, is the right level of this, I'm about to get murdered, I have to figure out this puzzle, and it elevates the horror rather than dissipating it, like all these other goddamn <laughs> puzzle games. Rather than just envisioning, like, the the enemies in, in Outlast sitting in the corner, finishing, like, the New York Times crossword puzzle, and, like, yes. just waiting for me to figure out this stupid puzzle that I have okay. been stuck on. I want to play that game. I want to do a crossword puzzle with a monster. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> that would uh, be fun. Sign me up. Sudethku. Sudethku. It's okay. Death Sudoku. It's you and a monster having morning coffee, working on a puzzle together. Oh, I love that. Uh, can I kill you yet? Not yet. No, I'm we got to get three across. Hold on. I, I look, something's always angering me, and that's what it is today. So there you, you can go. let it out. Just let it out. It's fine. You know what? I will say. I'm I'm very excited today because uh, you know our guest today, we love passion. We love mm-hmm. talking to people who are rays of sunshine, and we've had many of them on this podcast. Our guest today is so positive and passionate about what they do, and it's contagious. I was gonna say it's contagious. That's the first thing I thought of. Ah, uh. our guest today is a storyteller and professional game master, otherwise known as a GM. Uh, and they uh, he runs multiple RPG sessions a week. He was the lead designer for the absolutely fantastic game based on the movie The Green Knight, which I loved. A24, you've done it again. Uh, and this man has such a wealth of knowledge on Dungeons and Dragons, uh, RPGs, uh, and just storytelling in general. You know what a sucker I am for great storytelling. It was a blast to pick his brain. Here's our interview with the one and only Tim Woods.
You know, before we started, we were just saying, and this is for people at home, uh, won't be able to see this, but you have an amazing background. You look, there's all these framed and they look like maps. Tell us what what it what do we got going on in the background? So this is probably my treasure of my home. My map wall is something yes. that I try to bring everywhere I live. And basically it's, you know, during this year, especially provided the perfect backdrop for all of my professional games. Uh, once I kind of had it all set up, basically it's got uh, of course, the classics, Lord of the Rings, uh, Westeros from Game of Thrones. Yes. And then the big one you see back there is actually Gary Gygax, the creator, one of the creators of D&D, uh, his original world of Greyhawk, you can kind of see as the big one there. So Something I need to ask, too, and maybe this, this is going to be a super rookie question, but I always hear either Game Master or Dungeon Master. Is there a difference between the two? Is there one that people prefer? What's the What's the deal? Absolutely. That's a great question, honestly. Uh, the, it's a very specific nuance where Dungeon Master is specific to Dungeons and Dragons, uh. whereas Game Master is any kind of role-playing game. So Dungeon Master is the category into which a Game Master might fall. And I say I'm a professional Game Master because I run lots of different games, but practically speaking, most of the time it's Dungeons and Dragons, the very well-known game that's getting requested. So most of the time I am a professional Dungeon Master. Both are true. Great. I just, I've, I've always wanted clarification on that. And what a better person, or, you know, one of the best people I could probably ask for clarification on. Absolutely. <laughs> and I love, like, you should never, I, I think people need to be willing to ask more, like, rookie questions because they're actually very insightful usually. And I think they help the real fans to be like, oh, right, this is important that people don't always, fans get very lost, mm. I think, in D&D &D and, like, assuming everybody knows X, Y, or Z about the game. And my whole job is really trying to meet people where they're at when it comes to the hobby. And everybody kind of like knows enough about D&D &D that they can jump in. But I'm always about like figuring out like, how much do you really know? If I say dwarves and elves, what does that mean? If I say this spell name, is that something people recognize? And I'm usually able to kind of like gauge that when I walk in on a group fairly quickly now. <laughs> And, and also like, and, and to that point, like what, what do you see from that, from your side of the table, what do you find are some of the most common hurdles or obstacles that maybe keep beginners or people who want to play uh, a role-playing game, keep them from jumping in? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to recognize uh, something that I think D&D players forget a lot, which is that this game is actually really hard to learn. It is <laughs> worth it. That's what's cool. It's worth all the time and effort you put in to learn it. But it is like learning a language. Mm -hmm. And it's a language that sounds particularly silly from the outside. And you need to have a kind of incentive to want to learn it and to kind of share it. So I think that people underestimate how important it is to kind of meet people where they're at. I think um, major hurdles can be like how you present the game. I think that's a real big part of my job is making sure that people don't feel like, oh, you need to know all the rules ahead of time. You definitely don't, and you probably shouldn't before you try <laughs> playing. Trying to learn all the rules of D&D &D before you play is like a easy way to lose the passion to play this hobby at all, honestly. Trying yeah. to make sure you know everything. No, the best way to learn D&D &D is just dive in and play, and that's kind of how I approach the game. When I sit down, I say, maybe we're going to go over 
30 seconds of rules before we, and I'm going to highlight, oh, you're playing this. That's cool for this reason and give you an idea of what you're going to be doing in the game. But other than that, we dive in and we learn as we play. And I think when so many people in the hobby are like, well, I learned from picking up a 200 page book and reading this 200 page book. Isn't that the right way to learn? I'm like, Uh, that's not how most people learn it. Some of us (laughs) do, but that's not how most people would learn the game. You learn it from other people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because so our producer, Jen Samples, is is brand new to role-playing and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, And so, and so Jen, how has your experience getting into D are you you're are you playing specifically D D? Yes, D D. I okay. have done one session so far. My friend is he loves it. He's been trying to get my group of friends to play for years. Yes. And <laughs> a champion for the cause. Exactly. He yeah. And so we had one session and I knew admittedly nothing about it. I went in so blind. Mm-hmm. And I can see how people get swept up in it. And at the same time I can see how overwhelming it can be. It is both. And and I think what makes the game appealing is how the overwhelming amount of rules can kind of help sweep you up in it once you're kind of enrolled in that effort. And it sounds like your friend approached it the right way where it was like getting people on board and then we'll learn the rules kind of as we go. Like the fact that you got swept up and it means the overwhelming aspects weren't front loaded. And sometimes when people try to teach D&D, that can very easily happen where it's like, oh, trust me, you'll have fun. You just got to memorize all these stats about <laughs> rogues and stuff. It's like, ah, bummer, actually. Here's your 200-page no. book, and... Uh... Absolutely. It's kind of like you'll learn as you play, and it doesn't have... It's not fun if it's out of context. Totally. He was very gentle with it, but one thing I did want to ask that I found, you know, he had us all kind of go up, like, as we were, our characters were being introduced, and he wrote backstories and everything. How do you not get in your head about your backstory? Oh, it's it's funny because abs. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Uh. It's almost like the way I would frame it is because I work with students and I work with students where we are working on like impulse control skills, skills of like kind of being able to move along with the process of the game. And I think that like getting locked into the backstory and stuff and being worried about the decisions you're making is so natural. The game almost tricks you. It's like you are going to get super invested in this to the point where you almost feel paralyzed by how many choices you have, but then you have to do something. It's like a nasty trick kind of being played. It's like, uh, you made me care about this character and now they can die. <laughs> like, why did you put me in this yes, situation? I'm already attached to my character. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. And I think that's natural. I, I think anytime you create stuff, it's, it's almost like as a GM, I feel lucky because I'm creating so much. It's like Zen Garden. This got to get wiped clean. This whole town could get burned down depending on right. what these people do. So I can't hold any of it too dear in oh. a way. It's mandatory. Whereas for wow. the players, that's almost the trick I'm playing on them is like, oh, you care about this person now. <laughs> I wonder what happens when the dungeons get tougher. I wonder what decisions we make. And that's that's really when it gets fun because people start changing their de- kids do this very quickly. They start changing their decision making almost immediately, and you can watch it happen. They're very open about it. It's really cool. Whoa! Wow. In what in what way do you mean? Like because the character means more to them, so they start playing more conservatively or making choices they weren't kind of making in the beginning. They get more invested, definitely. Mm-hmm. They change the nature of how they're looking out for their character, the nature of the risks they're taking, and it's. 
important in the conversation of like, well, sometimes kids do violent stuff in D&D. Sometimes <laughs> any players do violent stuff in D&D, but particular when it's with kids, it's like, oh, is there an obligation where I should guide us away from that? <laughs> I found after they kind of test the limit of either throwing themselves metaphorically or literally off the cliff or yeah. doing it to some other character like this, this innkeeper, I want to see how far this can go. <laughs> Once they take this risk, then they're like, oh, Tim's job is to just keep responding to what I'm doing. And like, uh, I can do anything. Well, then here's what I really want to uh, do. And then that kind of emerges. What do you want to do when the stakes are raised? <laughs> and when you know that this character or anything could happen to them, they might meet a fate where you don't get to continue their story anymore. So in that framework, what do you do then? And, oh, uh, interesting. So it's it's almost like they're they want to see if you're going to put a limit on them. In a way, yes, absolutely. They want to see if I'll put a limit on it. And when I don't, and they understand that the limits are going to be more defined by the game, that's a really interesting transition to see if they'll like. Because then some kids are like, well, I want to act out, though. It's almost like really interesting to see the psychology work out where it's like, well, this isn't as much fun because I want to break this. And sometimes <laughs> that's the mentality. Very rare. I'm happy to say, but like, it's very funny to see how it, it, and then usually that evolves into something else. Whatever it started out as evolves into something kind of very cool. And it's out of the interaction with other players, most importantly, because it's not just you playing this with this world. It's you and then this other guy's getting to do a cool quest. Wait a minute. Why don't I get to do a cool quest? And like you kind of link up and split off. It's, it's really cool to see what kids especially do with it. So taking that, Jed, did you start, tell us about your game. Did you start Bloodthirsty? Were you pushing people off cliffs and now you've drawn it back? Can you tell us a little bit about how you started and where your game is going and about your character as well? Well, my character is a halfling named Taryn Alistair. Okay. Um, a part of the Dragon Slayers Guild. So like, as soon as I learned that, my friend sent me that and I was like, yes, I'm in. Yes. That's like all I knew. I was like, Dragon Slayer Absolutely. Guild? Absolutely. Hell yes. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that my friend made that all up. Like he, I was like, wait, so you thought of this whole story? And he was like, yeah, I wrote it this way. And I, that blows my mind. So like what you guys do is wild yeah. to me. It is like a really cool form of raw creativity. And it's so cool that like, uh, dungeon masters are doing this all the time. They're like creating these experiences for their friends. I think that's a perfect example, the Dragon Slayer Guild of being like, I need to find out what this group wants and then just deliver that. And there's a certain amount of throwing out bait and seeing what gets bitten. Oh, and like the fact that you, that's a good thing for a player to do is to communicate like, oh, I care about this. And then for the dungeon master to say, oh, this will now be the most important thing in our game. This game is wow. actually all about us being a Dragon Slayer's Guild. That's how you do a D&D campaign. So, so how does it, how does it happen then? Because so you did the Green Knight, the adaptation, the role-playing game adaptation to A24's fantastic new movie, The Green Knight. So how does, how does that work when you're taking something that already exists and adapting it versus creating something whole cloth from the ground up? How, what was that process like for you? 
Absolutely. So it was interesting because when I'm a game master, I actually feel like I'm always adapting no matter what, whether it's because I'm taking an adventure that's already been written and being like, I like this because they filled in all the plot holes. I can't mess things up too much. It's a good structure for me to follow, but I'm going to twist it this way. I'm going to add this. I know this group likes this kind of, and I'll kind of be adapting that. Um, and even when I'm making something up completely, and I think a lot of game masters were making stuff up kind of whole cloth, as you say. But when we say that, what do we mean? Very often, you're taking tropes and ideas. And I find it when I'm game mastering, it's actually funny how often it's better and easier and more vivid a description for me to just be like, hey, everyone, trash compactor from Star Wars. What do you do? And <laughs> rather than try to deliberately, oh, there's walls and like there's some things here and try to paint that picture from scratch, I'm very often kind of using familiar tropes and references as a way to kind of build stuff. When A24 reached out to me, I was familiar enough with the Green Knight story and like the the translations and stuff to be like, well, I don't know exactly what this movie looks like yet. And when I saw it, it kind of confirmed all my theories that they were really sinking their teeth into this narrative, which is taking the D&D &D idea of a quest, which is I go, I kill the monster, I get the treasure, I make it back, and I am therefore a hero. Uh, and instead, the story of the Green Knight is like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a hero? Like, is that an honorable thing to do? Maybe it's more important to actually, and just what does, what is a quest? The nature of a quest breaking it down. And immediately I was talking to them like, this won't be about how good am I at hitting with a sword? This game will be about something radically different. And yeah. I thought that honor and dishonor would be kind of the central mechanics of a game like this. And once I saw the film, I was like, yes, yeah, yes, I 100%. can see this. I can see how... I, th I think that's a fun thing to do is to look when you're adapting something, when, you, when you're when you like, I want to make a, uh, a campaign or a game that's like an homage to this sort of story, you kind of create the RPG and then say, would that story fit into it? So if I'm making a Star Wars oh, RPG, okay. it's okay. like, can I tell the story of the various episodes of Star Wars through the medium of this game? If I can, then I've done a faithful recreation. And it was really fun creating the game and then going back to the film and being like, aha, he's making this <laughs> saving thrower he's yeah. making this check and it, it like that's to me what's cool is seeing how a narrative translates into a game and then back and that was what i was essentially trying to accomplish with this game that's cool love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places well working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like t-mobile we have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started.
What's a movie that you would want to Ooh. recreate? And in, because in I have I have some thoughts on that as well. But I, I would love to hear like what would be your holy grail of and maybe I don't know Monty Python's holy grail. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that, Literally that, holy grail. That. Oh, I, that would be an amazing world to play an RPG in where it's just like you're just telling jokes with the DM. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say on my mind lately has been the fact that there already is a very good recently released RPG for the upcoming Dune movie. And Dune oh. is a world where I just love that world from the RPG perspective. It's such a deep and broad world. It almost begs for a kind of like, who would you be in the world of Dune? Like, if you can ask that question and everybody has an answer who's familiar with the franchise, that's how I get people into Star Wars RPGs. I say, hey, if you could be anybody in the Star Wars universe, who would you be? Most people have an answer to that question, and that's how you can kind of enroll them into the concept of an RPG. And so... To me, Dune is is a universe right for that kind of clearly thing. Jabba, oh, sure. clearly Jabba for me. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, crime lord. Yes, Sonia, Sonia, and Jen. Same questions to you guys. What movie would you want to play an RPG game of? Oh my gosh! I mean, I've I'm a techie lady. I want to go something more, uh, like a little less fantasy, maybe a little more. The f- the first thing that came into my head was hackers. Oh, but <laughs> that just, would be great. I just want to, I just want to play out hackers. That's it. I want to be great. in a, in like an old school techie universe. Like what? Yeah. Like a, like a techie universe, but even earlier, you know, can we bring yeah. it to like the eighties? Ooh, I'm in it. Jen, what about you? I love just the aesthetic of like old timey explorers. So anything sort of like Indiana Jones or even mm. like earlier than that was just at old Everest climbers like that world I think would be a blast. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That would be fun. That I makes sense. That. Jen, I think there is a game called Savage Worlds, which I think is aimed at kind of accomplishing that to some degree. I'm not 100% on that. And I know for a fact there are several cyberpunk themed and non cyberpunk themed hacker games. Yes. Uh, but the 80s vibe you're describing, Tales from the Loop, is the game you might be interested oh. in. It's basically like Stranger Things, like your kids on bikes type vibe. There is also a game called Kids on Bikes. That's a separate <laughs> one. But I know Tales kids from the Loop better. Bikes. And that's another Kids on Bikes type game. And it emphasizes like, Weird, like, oh, yeah, but in your world, there's, like, a weird government lab nearby your little small Midwestern town. And, like, are you going to go check out the lab? Probably. Yeah. Oh, that's my jam. It's up to. Mm -hmm. I would love to see, like, Love Actually. Like a (laughs) rom-com. You know? Yes. Or, like, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or 10 Things to Hate About You. Fifty first date. Uh oh, he's like <laughs> so Tim's looking back I at his map. Somewhere here behind me, a game called Starcrossed. I would love to. I'm at least saying the name of the game correctly. I know I, I uh, I'm blanking on the name of the designer, but she made this game designed for two players. It Ooh, uses la, la. a Jenga tower, which is a rarity. <laughs> there are a few RPGs that use Jenga towers and not dice as their resolution mechanic. Oh, the that's really cool. Is you, you make two characters, they are destined to fall in love, but for some reason, they must not. They cannot. <gasps> it must not happen. And as the tower gets more, like, unsteady, 
the romance is budding and blossoming. And when it falls over, you give in and like you, you fall in love. And like, I don't know all the rules of the game, but it is like a brilliant accomplishment as far as I'm concerned that in the RPG is world. Such a cool take. I, I love that. Love that. Now, wait a second. You say Jenga Tower as a, re- as a resolution mechanic instead of dice. So are there different resolution mechanics other than dice? What are some other ones? Certainly not only are there, there are resolution mechanics using the normal D&D dice. I say normal D&D dice. There is the familiar D6, but most D&D players will know we use the D20 as the main dice in D&D. There are other, and I love, I, I, I say I love because not everyone loves it when people do this, but I'm a big fan when RPGs create their own dice and have like weird symbols and stuff. I always like think that's a great thing. And so sometimes RPGs make their own dice. And I know besides Savage Worlds, I had mentioned, it actually, I believe, uses a hand of cards as the resolution mechanics. You use like suits and and basically a 52 card deck as the resolution mechanic. Um, uh, Another one that uses the Jenga tower is Dread. Dread is basically a horror story, the kind of horror story where all the kids are going to die at the end. Like all of us are going camping. There's a murder on the lake type vibe. And as you knock, as you try to accomplish things, you have to take bricks off the tower. And when it falls over, whoever's turn it is, it's hot potato, basically. Uh. You died. (laughs) And we get to talk about how that happened and we rebuild the tower, which I love because it's like, instead of logical danger, it's dramatic danger. It'll be like somebody's about to disable the bomb and like does it. And then meanwhile, in another scene, someone's just strolling down the street and suddenly, ah, werewolf attack out of nowhere. And uh, because they drew the wrong brick and the tower was too unsteady. Oh my God, that's unbelievable. I have to say like, how did you first come into this? How did you first get interested in role-playing games and where did it all start? Uh, Honestly, my start was definitely like, okay, I vividly remember, you know, summer day in my parents' basement, maybe like age 11, going through my dad's old Marvel comics, just with recent trailers coming out, it's definitely on my mind, these memories of like seeing advertisements for this game in comic books, old comic books of like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, it's like a newish game. And my dad was kind of aware, like, oh yeah, there was this game, D&D, and it was like starting if you went on the internet, you could find stuff about it because we were starting to enter at that point, the third edition era when things really got popular again. And I remember downloading off the internet a solo adventure you could go through yourself. And it was like, oh, Thaddeus, the, like if, if the rats roll this against Thaddeus the wizard, they hit him. But if it's the fighter, they have to roll an 18. And I'm like, oh, so you could be anybody. And it doesn't have to be rats. It could be anything. Oh, this Uh. is like Legos. All of a sudden, it's like you see what you could do with this game and everything falls into perspective. I'm like, oh, you, you can do anything with this. You can do, you can tell any story. You can do anything you want. It's, I imagine what kids go through with Minecraft nowadays, where it's like the, the, during the era of Minecraft, like they're chopped, you know, oh, what do I do here? Oh, I do anything I want in this mm-hmm. space. That's the appeal of it for me. So, yeah, that's, that's it's so fun. something like Legos, I imagine. <laughs> and even, spe- you know, it's so special to have something like that, especially offline. And it gives you an opportunity to put down your phone and just be off the Internet and like connect with humans. And especially in a game that's so important to have communication and like you're saying, body language and everything. Uh, it's, it's so unique and it's so precious, you know. 
Yeah. It is precious. I think that what caused people to become so, like we, we're in a renaissance of D&D right now, for sure. I think it's the most popular it has ever been at this point. Mm. And I think a huge part of that was video games kind of becoming very mainstream and then people being like, well, I love this experience, but I also, there's something that I, I'm not getting out of this that I was getting from play and games that I can remember when they were, you know, a little more fit, uh, in person. And so yeah. that that's why I'm really excited for live games to come back. I think they have always provided this really interesting alternative to online gaming. And I, from the perspective of working with parents, all I had to say was no screens. And like, <laughs> if they were, if the kids were just as excited about it as something that did involve screens, that was a miracle. And I, yeah. it kind of is, it is a miracle, I think, to have something that has that much appeal. And in my point of view, kids, uh, the, the the accessibility of video games has made it so that D&D is easier than ever to introduce. Kids of any age walk in and they're just like, oh, this is my character. That wasn't true 10 years ago, maybe, that yeah. any kid of any age would understand the idea of controlling an avatar. I think that's something that kind of came with the modern uh, uh, digital gaming experience. I have to say, at the end of the day, like, and I think, really, Tim, you hit it on the head for me, like, why I love... D&D and role-playing games is because it does kind of scratch the itch of a video game in terms of participation, but uh, releases the shackles of mm -hmm. the rules because it is so fluid because you're working with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're a human being. And so if I am clearly not having a good time in a game, you will you're going to make it exciting and fun versus a game where I'm like, oh, the save points are a few and far between and it's ruining or like the button layout sucks in this game. You know, like the game designers in the room with you uh, and is open and receptive, ideally open and receptive. To that's kind such of, a good I mean, point. To, to my mind, it's becomes a measure of how good are you at using the operating system that is People, people mm. are a very tricky operating system to run a game on, but when you can do it, I don't think there's a more rewarding kind of play that you can engage in. And uh, what makes it rewarding is in many ways the fact that, yeah, you can't be a jerk. It like, if, if you do, like you can be a jerk to a video game and it'll just keep playing with other <laughs> people. Eventually they will stop playing with you. And so it's built in. Uh, I found it fascinating. Actually, I've started to like hear about how like every game has a meta game of like, well, you want to keep playing the game, don't you? That's why we don't cheat in games. It's you would win the game, but you lose the game of getting to continue playing with the people who found out that you cheated. You get kicked out of the league or they'll just stop playing with you. And D&D is intimately woven with that, where it's like you can be right. But if you're not creating fun with the other players, the rules aren't going to help you. No one can really use those as a fallback. You need to be having fun with everybody or else what are these rules even here for? And uh, I think uh, that that is a challenge, I think, a, a kind of gameplay challenge that is maybe one of the, the toughest challenges that's out there yeah, in game sure. design. But it's really rewarding when you can get a group together in that way. <laughs> Well, Tim, uh, thank you so much. We love to end every interview here on Good Game, Nice Try with asking our guest their uh, favorite video game and least favorite video game. We thought today we'd do something a little bit different because uh, you are a game master extraordinaire. Uh, and we wanted to ask you your least favorite RPG world and your most favorite, either to, <laughs> to be a participant in 
or to Game Master. So if we want to start just the one that maybe bothers you the most or you oh. find the most frustrating, and then we'll end with your favorite kind. Hmm. My least favorite RPG setting. And it's okay to say love actually. It's okay I'm if you want to say love actually. No, that, yeah. that's the favorite. That's the favorite. That, oh, that, right. The favorite, yeah. I guess... I'll, I'll, I, nothing's coming to mind where I have a bone to pick with anything. And I will say there's, there's one RPG setting that I find in its own way quite repulsive. Oh, it God. is the, the setting of paranoia, the mm-hmm. RPG. It's an old eighties RPG. They've done some updates for it, but it kind of like is very of that era. And the premise is you live in a dome controlled by friend computer. It is the oh. far future. Everyone loves friend computer because oh. loving friend computer is mandatory. Everyone in your party is part of a team that has been assigned a job by friend computer. Oh, no. And if you, if anyone else on your team looks like they're going to betray friend computer, you have to rat them out to friend computer because oh. they might be, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, mutant communists. That's what everyone who doesn't wow. like friend computer is a mutant communist and must be outed. And it's just like a painful, like, even, it oh. seems like it would be fun to run, but I don't know if I can handle, like, that amount of just, like, there, yeah. And, like, the whole point is, like, friend computer is sending you on a mission that you're just going to die and, like, doesn't even understand what they're doing. So it's miserable. It's just a nightmare of a setting. Oh, no. Uh, it it kind of sounds like our future lives when Facebook takes over, frankly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> just friend, friend Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah, hell, yeah. Zuck, King Zuck. All right, so what's your favorite? What's your favorite kind of world to run? Eberron, I think, is my favorite D&D setting for sure because it lends these kind of fun modern sensibilities. I think it lets you do the most with D&D and really takes the fantasy tropes and twists all of them. So it's like, well, you know dwarves, but do you know dwarves who operate the lightning rail of Eberron, the train system across? And it's just like taking like everything you know and love and just adding that little, little, little salt, little spice into it. And that's what I love about Eberron. But since I said Cthulhu is my favorite RPG. I'll stand by the fact that I love cosmic horror. When you take the real world, even if it's the 1920s, and say, sure, phones, like, you you know all the, like, cars, absolutely. There are all the things that you kind of know, because it's the 1920s, you can't just Google stuff. Uh, but at the same time, there's a certain amount of reality that you just apply, and the beginning of every Call of Cthulhu adventure goes on just long enough, I like to say, that you forget that you're not in the world that you know. And then as the cosmic horror starts to creep in and like the world starts to just, the the, the set falls <laughs> backward and reveals a nightmare universe of my creation. Very often where I'm just like, I've peppered my thoughts into this weird cosmology for this adventure. And even I don't know what's really going on. And when the, I can kind of channel that level of creepiness of like, yes, the voices. And they're like, what voices? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> that level of creepiness, yes. that's my favorite thing to kind of channel into an RPG. Because people see I'm having fun with it, mm-hmm. and I'm very often like cutting myself loose at that point of the strictures <laughs> of a game like D&D. Well, Tim, Tim thank you so much. And, Absolutely. And again, uh, I, I mean, look, I, I think you've, you've given us the greatest advice of all, which is just have fun. That's just what have it's fun all about with it. at the end of the day. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a, that was a man. I gotta say, I feel like uh, 
I feel like a new person after talking to Tim Woods. That was great. Ah, oh, just such a joy. Such a joy. And again, just so passionate and knowledgeable. It was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And don't go anywhere just yet, though, because we're going to take a real quick break and we will be right back. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Now, I defy anyone to listen to that Tim Woods interview and not want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I want to play. I want right? to play Dungeons and Dragons. Tim has got me fired up. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I feel like, look, I feel like the three of us, the Golden Three, we should play Dungeons and Dragons. I think we should get Ooh. into a game. What do you guys think? I like that. I like that idea. Let's say we're going to play an RPG. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be... Like Tim said, it doesn't need to be fantasy and swords and shields and stuff. It could be anything we want it to be. The thing that I love about the three of us, we all like different kinds of video games. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, and different worlds of video games. Again, I love horror. I love puzzle games. I'm into that stuff. You know, Jen, you're obsessed with Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. Understatement. Understatement. <laughs> Uncharted. You're you're an Uncharted fan. Absolutely. I love a good adventure. Adventure, you know, and and in real life, you're also basically Nathan Drake in real Save. life. Yep. <laughs> uh, Sonia, you're all over the map. You're you're mm-hmm. you probably, you have a larger wealth of knowledge. Uh, you're than like I driving do race cars and like <laughs> like racing games, shooters, RPGs, League. Sims. I feel like I'm all over the place. So what do we think? What what worlds would we want to explore? The first thing I thought of was something like Horizon Zero Dawn, where it's like really big and adventurous, but still has like that weird tech aspect, you know? That's interesting because when we first brought this up just now, the my immediate world I was gonna say is dinosaurs. Whoa. And I feel like that sort of has dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Kind of like Tomb Raider. But mm. Tomb Raider with like technology. Old lost technology. Tomb Raider. Tech Raider. Old lost. <gasps> oh, oh, shit. There we go. I love that. I'm into this. One thing I will say is I do love like uh, like crafting, like, like taking weapons mm-hmm. and making stuff out of other stuff, you know, is really cool. I remember in Fallout, one of my favorite weapons is like just the launcher where you can just <laughs> shoot random crap at people is really fun. Yeah. Like what kind of, you know, what kind of weapons do you think exist in this like tech raider kind of uh, a bit of post-apocalyptic jungle situation? I do love the idea of having like really lost old like tech weapons, like 80s technology kind of trying to be futuristic, but then lost in the jungle. And now it has now it has augments. So it's like new and kind of cyberpunky, but still old. Can I just say one thing I hate? Mm. 
One thing I just absolutely hate, which is weird because I do love post-apocalyptic games. I hate when characters are like, I'm, and they, and unfortunately they do this in Horizon Zero Dawn. They're like, I'll trade you six shiny sharps for like one circle flat. And it's like car keys and like a drink coaster. It's like, <laughs> can we just all decide in this world that we're going to know or we actually have some idea what the shit is we're finding? I can't stand it when they're like, yes. I like a, you know, whatever it is, like a pokey poke. And I'm like, it's a fucking fork. It's a fork. Do we not know what a fork is? I don't know. I kind of want a pokey poke as my weapon. I do kind of want a pokey poke. Not going to lie. I'm I'm just saying, like, (laughs) we've forgotten what a knife is called. Ooh, a slicey slice. It's It's lost in time. It's a fucking knife. It's clearly a knife. embrace it. Embrace the world. Yes. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, I take out my slicey slice, and I. it's like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) I love my augmented pokey poke. I'm going to shoot the thing with my arrow bow. You mean a bow and arrow? No, it's an arrow bow. <laughs> like, okay. It's a fucking bow and arrow. Just call it what it is. I can't stand that. Jen, what kind of weapons do you want to see? I find that I kind of like, I don't even know what this is called. <laughs> is it a slicey type, slice? <laughs> I love a good slicey slice. Um, no, it's those types of like stealth weapons that you like plant. Like traps. You plant okay. and then walk away and then boom. You to watch from a distance. And it's all about the strategic placement, like tripwire. Ooh, love that. What would be like futuristic tripwire? Like a laser type thing. A laser laser. Trip laser. Yeah, laser laser. Uh, (laughs) You're kind of like, wait, Jen, you're kind of like Jigsaw from the Saw movies. Oh, God. (laughs) You're very into traps. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that. Yeah, you are like like the the complete Venn diagram cross section of Jigsaw and Lara Croft. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll take it. Lara Jigsaw. Right on. I will say so. My one of my things I love is I love kind of a mix of both of you. I love uh, attacking from afar, mm-hmm. right? But I also kind of love seeing people like setting stuff up like traps and stuff. But I mm-hmm. kind of like it when I could get the NPCs to fight each other. Oh, like, it's my favorite. In Bioshock, there's mm-hmm. a, there, you know what I'm going to, you know what I'm about to say. There's <laughs> the a, first a, thing I thought of <laughs> a plasmid called enrage where it's basically like a red ball. And if you, you throw it at an enemy in a room of enemies and it will kill anything around it. So it's like you enrage an enemy and then it's like, you know, it then fights it's the other NPCs. Have them turn on each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, you you sit back. It's a bit like a trap and it's kind of like a, a sniping thing. So it's kind of like, I love watching NPCs fight each other. I think we're building a good, uh, we got a good world here. Yeah. 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 We're going to have, you know, we'll find a bunch of pokey pokes mm-hmm. uh, in this kind of techno. <laughs> so we're kind of, in a certain way, it's kind of like we're, Tomb Raidery, we're kind of dungeon crawly. I was gonna crawly. say it's sort of Tomb Raider, Uncharted, Cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. I like this world. I like it. But let's just all agree, guys. If we come across a fork, can we just call it a fork? No. God damn it! <laughs> well, Tim Woods, thank you for the inspo. Yeah. And thanks for lighting this mm-hmm. uh, this fire under us. I think we're going to do it. I think I'm we excited. should play a D&D I think game. we yeah. should. Absolutely. We should. All right, let's chew on this. We're, we'll we'll work on this. And if you have any suggestions, if you uh, have any different worlds you'd want us to explore or any uh, other items in the Pokey Poke realm that you think we could come across or anything fun, I don't know. Let us know. 
tweet at us using hashtag GGNT, uh, or you can throw it in a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll chat about it and chew on it. And I'm excited for our adventures. I can't wait. Light them up with those slicey slices. Good Game Nice Try is produced by Jen Samples and Nick Liao. Our executive producers are Joanna Solitaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Becton with engineering and sound design by Chester Guazda. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. And special thanks, as always, to Lisa Berm. Music by John Danik. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.